Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to jump into some of the big topics today. Technocracy. We've got Patrick Wood with us, but I want to mention our friends over at Red Pill Prince. Busy, busy, busy developing this Stand Up For The Truth page. We've got a lot of gear. I ordered another T-shirt and a water bottle. A great logos, great vendors. They pick high-quality vendors. You might spend a couple extra dollars on these items, but high quality. And they now have 20 items on this page. Uh, so StandUpForTheTruth.com. I said that really fast, right? But you listen regularly. StandUpForTheTruth.com. Upper left-hand corner, merch button. That'll take you to RedPillPrints.com. Um, I was telling Patrick and, and Crash before we got on the air, I, I know um, every time I preach on a Sunday and come in to work on Monday and have to tackle some of this stuff, I know why pastors take Mondays off, a lot of them. So bear with me today, but that means I need to open in prayer and ask God for help, as we should every day, right? Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day. Uh, First of all, Lord, to be your ambassadors. Please speak through us, Lord. We must decrease that you might increase in our lives. And uh, use us, God. Use us as influencers in Jesus' name. And do your will through us, Father. Uh, We commit our works to you, that you would bless the work of our hands, and we thank you that we are saved by grace through faith. And we praise you for what we just celebrated, that prophetic, historic entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry where they were shouting, Lord, save, Hosanna. And, uh, Father, we know what's coming because this is Passion Week, and we just pray that you'd keep us mindful of the truth of the gospel that we might share with others who are hopeless and hurting. We commit this hour to you. Thank you for strength and hope and our salvation to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Briefly, um, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, starting in verse 22, He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body on, up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. It's First Peter chapter 2, 22 through 24. Let's get to our guest, Patrick Woods. Can't wait to get back uh, to some of the topics we have uh, really just touched on briefly and get a little bit more insight from Patrick. Uh, he's uh, an economic and market forecaster, speaker, author of Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order, also the executive director of a great website and uh, movement, Citizens for Free Speech. That's Citizens for freespeech.org. And you can also listen to his weekly podcast called Stand and Deliver. Patrick Wood, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Well, it's good to be back with you. It seems like it's been a long time. It seems uh, like it's been a couple months, but it seems like it's a lot longer. I know. (laughs) So much is happening. I know. I know. You're thinking, wow, how are we going to work this into an hour? Um, But let's just go to some of the recent things you've been working on, including your new podcast. I call it new, but tell us about Stand and Deliver and what you've been talking about, Patrick. Well, as you know, I founded uh, in 2018 an organization, nonprofit called Citizens for Free Speech. And uh, this was to defend and support the First Amendment in America. Uh, Free speech, of course, is a pretty much universal concept, but uh, in America it's under great attack. So we we decided to start a podcast, and we we call it Stand and Deliver. Uh, the, The spark inspiration for that was from Eric Clapton's uh, song a couple years ago, Call Stand and Deliver. <laughs> it was written with uh, Van Morrison. And uh, it, was a, it was kind of a, a, a re- rebellious type of a song in a way, but uh, Clapton, of course, is one of the greatest guitar players in the world, arguably so. And he took the injection. He was kind of, uh, you know, maneuvered into it in Great Britain. And the day after he took the injection, his hands were paralyzed. 
and he absolutely freaked out because that is his life. Wow. You know, his, his no hands, no guitar. Mm. And so after he settled for that, fortunately, his, uh, his hands returned mostly, still got problems, but um, he, uh, he decided to, uh, to perform the song, Stand and Deliver. And it's a powerful message, in my opinion. Mm, absolutely. To, and to, you go ahead. Yeah, to people across the world, mm. not just us, but right. well, he's British, you know, he's speaking to us across the pond. Mm. <laughs> when did you start the podcast? Actually, we just uh, have have done ten episodes now. We do it weekly. Uh, we release it on every Friday at noon, and uh, it's it's Bob France and I. Bob is a, a broadcaster out of Cleveland with Salem uh, Radio Network, and uh, he's a very skilled guy. He's been around for twenty five years. Got a very popular show in Cleveland. He also fills in for people like uh, Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, and wow. other you know big, the big names on wow. uh, Salem Radio. Uh, but Bob is a, is a pro through and through. So we, we decided, Hey, we can do this. You know, we can, we can talk for 30 minutes and pick out a couple of issues of the day or the week and, uh, kind of explain them in terms of what it means to free speech. Mm. So we had you on last just before you kicked off your new podcast, stand and deliver. I know you have it linked up on your citizens for free speech page but is there it's does it have its own website what's the best way for people to listen to the podcast well that's a good way to, a good way to get it is just to go to our main website citizensforfreespeech.org and just kind of get into the swim of things here this we're not we don't charge anything for for people to join but i'll tell you what uh, it seems to me that every single american should be concerned about free speech these days and i don't care where you come from i don't care what your persuasion is um you should be concerned about the survival of free speech because the cancel culture and the censorship culture are just destroying the whole concept of free speech in the world. Mm. And, boy, what we've seen in America, I mean, with our Constitution and the freedoms we've enjoyed and, I might add, have taken for granted over the years, it, it has even shocked some of us who have been, like yourself, been work, writing about this for years, warning about these kinds of things for years. But the intensity with which things are happening, it's, it's really, um, it's, I guess it's not surprising or shocking, but it's very disappointing that we, the people, have allowed it to get to this point. Your thoughts on that? Well, it really is. And... Uh... You know, part of it is just ignorance, I'm sure, uh, that when when the mainstream media uh, puts out propaganda designed to deceive people into seeing things a different way or just ignoring things, um, it, it lulls people to sleep, and they just don't pay attention. Now, some have paid attention, but there, there wasn't sufficient alarm along the way for anybody to do anything about it. Mm. Now people are getting alarmed, and in some cases it may be too late. For instance, yes. <laughs> go to the gas station today, fill up your car. <laughs> <laughs> well, my car used to cost me 40 bucks to fill up. Uh, now it costs 62 Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Yes. <laughs> okay, so people started to see, well, something's wrong here. You know, what, this, wasn't, this isn't normal. Same thing with uh, you know going to get groceries at the store. You, you used to buy a, a ribeye steak for... 10 bucks a pound, and now you're lucky to find one for 20 bucks a pound. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's things that are happening today are really kind of shocking people out of their slumber. But now it's, you know, in a compressed time frame, it's like, well, okay, how can you learn enough to do anything about it at this point? But um, this, is, this has been a problem throughout history, I think. You know, this is not just um, our country. But I think we could probably say that we survey the Old Testament, for instance, we can find plenty of yes. <laughs> plenty of situations where it's exactly the same, you know. Yeah, they just didn't have social media and big tech to do it. But yeah, they silenced the citizens. Um, which, by yeah. the way, it's interesting, Patrick, because oftentimes it starts with government, doesn't it? But because of the influence of cultural Marxism in America, they have practically take hijacked every major institution the entertainment industry, the education system, if you still want to call it education, you might need to put that word in quotes because of the, you know, I mean, they have taken over those. So they're, and big tech now, that's where most of us are censored. So they can censor us in many, many, many ways that they didn't have 
uh, you know, hundreds, you know, or, or let alone thousands of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I want to bring up a topic, uh, Patrick, because we could talk about censorship for all week long, but let, and we've done that before. Um, and I encourage people to check out Technocracy Rising. And uh, let's talk about this disturbing study and the research that's been done on the deaths after people getting the vaccine. Now, OAN News, OANN.com. Um, I got wind that the, DirecTV is taking them off um, its network. So no, no longer is OAN on DirecTV. Now, there's a reason for some of this, and we can go talk about that in a minute. But they've been reporting on some of this, and not many major media outlets have, but I want to go to this Gateway Pundit article that you have on your website, technocracy.news, an update, a jaw-dropping 769 athletes have now collapsed while competing over the past year. And uh, an average, uh, the average age of players suffering cardi- cardiac arrest is 23. Patrick, if this is due to the vaccine, why aren't we hearing more about it? Well, by and large, because um, big pharma that produce these um, experimental shots uh, have uh, suppression uh, and hooks into all major media to make them basically just ignore the story. And if anybody dares to write about something, well, you know, like at New York Times or Washington Post or whatever, they would be fired. Just that simple. Uh, you know, the word is out. The fix is in. Shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's incredulous that with all of these athletes clapping, this has never happened before in the history of athletics. Never. And yet, Big Pharma and the medical community and the CDC and all the rest say, oh, it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do. It's not related. It has nothing to do with the vaccines or the, the you know, experimental injections. It's just a stroke of bad luck. <laughs> I don't know what they say. Gosh, I know. It has nothing to do with the vaccine, so they say. Yeah. And this gaslights people. This yes. is just pure gaslighting. Yes. Can you if somebody exp- doesn't know what gaslighting yes, is, there's a movie that. back in the 30s called, I think, called Gas, Gaslight. <laughs> and where, where a husband trying to make his wife think she's insane because he keeps telling her she's, she didn't see what she just saw. It's really something else. She finally thought she went nuts. But this, this gaslight process is just tricking people into believing a falsehood. And, and here we are. It's, yes. But OAN did the research on it, and mm-hmm. it's solid. And I've seen anecdotal stories come across every week almost for the last year where some athlete collapsed. Just I never bothered to, personally to add them all up, right? Well, they, they decided they, that, hey, why don't, we, why don't we go through the news and add all the people up that have collapsed on the field? Mm-hmm. So this is like be- seven, seven, yeah. 700? Yeah, 769 between March 2021 and March 2022. So 12 months. Yeah. So you say, you know, you hear every now and then we'll hear a random, so to speak, story about an athlete or a young person, you know, collapsing or having heart issues or some sort of severe reaction to the vaccine. And this brings up, Patrick Wood, the debate over the VAERS website and how some people, particularly on the left, they don't think that's accurate. Could you share your thoughts about that? Well, it isn't accurate. Nobody ever said it was. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a known, well, let's say it's a, there's a consensus of, of medical professionals that will say that only about 1% to 2% of the incidences ever get reported to VAERS. There's a number of reasons for that. But it's not up to date ever in, in the sense that it, you know, reports everything that's going on. So doctors don't take the time, neither do nurses take the time to, to go and report it. People can report their own adverse reactions, but uh, it's, a, it's an indicator at the very least. It is an indicator whether something is wrong or not. Hmm. And this is what is being denied. Well, no, it's not an indicator. Well, okay, uh, it is because if you had one period, of, one stretch of time, say three or four years ago, where you had a certain level of, of um, incidences, and then all of a sudden some new product is introduced and, and it shoots up to the sky, 
you have problem. That's that's an indicator. It's like the it's like the red light on the dashboard of your car. It doesn't really tell you anything. It just says something's wrong. <laughs> you know? Maybe your maybe your engine ran out of oil, but you know mm-hmm. something's wrong with your car if the red light goes on. That's right. That's all. That's all. Vares is. It's all it was really ever intended to be was just a, an indicator that something was wrong. And these these experimental vaccines, by the way, should have been shut down within thirty days of introduction. Yes, should have been. Yes, by historical standards, they would have been, but they were not. And that's where that's where the train went off the rails, in my opinion. Right within that thirty-day period. So, and, so you're saying that the numbers, and right now it's over two million reports of vaccine adverse events. And by the way, you can check out the website openvares v a e r s dot com openvares dot com. So over two million. You're saying that is a low ball estimate. Oh yes. Absolutely. I mean, there's no way to know for sure what percentage of the total that represents. It's just a, it's a guess. Epidemiologists do that kind of thing. You know, okay. they look at statistics and they make they make models and they make a guess, whatever. And maybe it's close, maybe it's not. But but uh, some doctors say that that theirs only only reports about one percent of the actual uh, incidences uh, of injury. Others say, well, it's more like you know two to five percent. Well, does it really matter? I mean, it doesn't. If you look at two years ago versus this year, you see that the thing has just spiked in the in the outer space, and it's like, okay, this is this is just over the top craziness, mm-hmm. and it should have stopped. It hasn't stopped. It continues today to go on with a vengeance all around the world, and people are still dying right now. Right now, they're still dying. You know, I I I should point out that back on December 18 in 2015, Technocracy News, that's me, of course, declared war on technocracy. Not because I want to declare war on somebody, but technocracy had declared war on the world. Back, This was recognizable in 2015. Now we have, as any war does, dead bodies everywhere mm. around the world. This is the global war. It's, yes. a, it's the first silent global war I've, I'm sure in history. <laughs> but there's dead there's dead bodies showing up, and everybody just wants to ignore. Oh, that wasn't from a bullet wound, you know, like if it was in in Ukraine. Uh, you know, they say, well, it has nothing to do. You know, just a guy just fell dead on the field. I mean, sometimes that happens, right? They say, and it's like, no, no, it doesn't. Just sometimes happen. Give me an autopsy. Which would, and by the way, that's that's a kind of a whole other issue. But any time that there isn't a suspicious death, or something just outside of the norm, you know, if somebody is 90 years old and they fall over, nobody gets excited about it. A 23-year-old falls over dead on the field playing soccer or whatever it might be, tennis. That's not normal. No, it should it should have an autopsy on the spot. And I'll tell you what, many of the autopsies that have been done on these young athletes are concluding, yes, it was this experimental shot that killed him, period. Right. That news doesn't get out either. And if, if you were a true journalist like OAN's Pearson Sharp, you would ask questions such as how many 23-year-old athletes were collapsing and suffering heart attacks before this past year, before the experimental yeah. vaccines. How many? But journalists aren't doing their job, and so the media is partly complicit in this. Uh, one more thing real quickly in this article about Pfizer. Uh, in advance, the doctors warned the FDA before they released the experimental vaccine that it would almost certainly cause organ damage. They didn't know to who, to how many, to what you know types of people, but they even warned about this. So now it's all being covered up, as you know, and this is a good reason before we take our first break with Patrick Wood of Technocracy News to tell you about our 200 resources you can trust. Patrick Wood, Technocracy News, is one of the many. It's in alphabetical order at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Upper left hand, just click on Resources. That'll take you to 200 resources because you are not hearing about some of these biblical worldview issues and free speech issues and actual journalism. You're not hearing about this in most places. That's what's frustrating to us. 
Check out that list. When we come back, we're going back to 1972 and 73. We're going to talk about the Rockefeller Commission report on population and the American future and a lot more with Patrick Wood when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Before we get to this, another just disturbing topic and just some of the history that we can go back and look at now, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Um, I want to mention just a little word uh, to churches that you, if your church is trying to come up with methods to celebrate Easter and the bunny and, the, and having Easter egg hunts and photo opportunities with, with the Easter bunny um, for, uh, for this coming Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, let's call it what it is, um, I would just caution about that and that you would go to your pastor or church leadership and say, um, is this, isn't this a distraction? Don't we want to tell them the truth from God's word and not use these gimmicks to draw people in? Anyway, just I, I say this because I got an email from a local church. And I'm not going to name because a lot of them are doing this. They've got uh, an Easter egg hunt on Saturday. They've got the photo booth set up at their church on Sunday. And yes, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to draw in the community. But once you use worldly means to get the world in to your church, are you've, you've got to give them worldly things to keep them there. Otherwise, they may be offended, but, you know, you might save a couple. So I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that. But my concern is that we are just watering down the gospel and, and doing these things that are not biblical. Boycott the Easter Bunny, friends, and all the chocolate and candy that goes with it. All right, I'm off that soapbox. Patrick Wood is our guest today. Technocracy News and Trends, our producers over there laughing. Uh, you're lucky I didn't get going further. Um, so, Patrick, March 27, 1972, a document known to history as the Rockefeller Commission Report on Population and the American Future. This was 50 years ago, um, and it lived up to the old adage that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This report called for zero population growth in America— as a means to save the world. Uh, I don't know, was it evil? Was it good intentions? Patrick, you, you have studied this. In fact, we'll get to your book yeah. uh, um, in a minute. But to stabilize America's population, because they were concerned that the world would run out of resources. It's the old, you know, human beings are the problem. Um, so the paper called for increased regulation of immigration. And the consequences, of course, now we're looking at the abortion industry um, some states, five states in America, have euthanasia that's acceptable, doctor-assisted suicide. So this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the value and the nature of human beings. So your thought on that commission, and were they good-intentioned, or was there something more evil behind this? Well, in my personal opinion, it was purely evil. The, the whole ideology of population reduction uh, was seen in many places at that particular time. You had... Uh, uh, the Club of Rome produced uh, a report, I think it was in 68, called Limits to Growth. Um, and you had the uh, people like, of course, the whole eugenics movement at large uh, was all about population reduction. And we saw, the, uh, saw those policies play out in China, for instance, with their one-child policy. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been, uh, well, and, and of course, we have the Georgia Guidestones down in Florida, where, or in Georgia, rather, that... Uh, uh, the, the talk about population reduction. We've seen this all over the place. You had um, uh, uh, Professor Dr. Paul Ehrlich wrote a book called Population Bomb back in that day hmm. and predicted uh, that the world was going to overpopulate and, and the human race might even go extinct because he uh, said, you know, he likened it to um, his uh, discipline of study, which interestingly was entomology. That's the study of bugs. <laughs> and so... He, he applied his theory, you know, his uh, um, discipline in entomology, that's, you know, crickets and grasshoppers and locusts and stuff like that, to humanity and said, we're in big trouble. He said, um, that book sold uh, millions and millions and millions of copies around the world, translated into like 30 languages. And not one thing that uh, Paul Ehrlich ever said has come true, by the way, not one single thing. Yet he's still esteemed as being you know, some good guy from, you know, back then who, who called it right, you know, population is going to get us. 
So the whole idea of population reduction, in my opinion, is uh, an expression of a spiritual reality mm-hmm. that the devil is intent on killing every human on earth. <laughs> if he could, <laughs> he would. And I, I think we underestimate, I think Christians underestimate what the devil's intentions would be. Uh, fortunately, and I say fortunately, and we know that God is still in sovereign control, and he is able to limit what Satan does on earth. This is a good thing. But if he were not to limit what the devil did on earth, he would figure out a way to get rid of every human being on the face of the planet, because that, of course, would spoil God's plan completely. We see this everywhere in the world. It's not mm-hmm. just here. We see this, uh, you know, this thing, that we got we got to get rid of a bunch of people. Well, if if you figure we got seven plus billion people in the world today, and you got to get down, you know, kill, knock off ninety percent or so. Some people say that uh, we only need about you know five hundred million people on Earth to uh, to be able to live correctly with uh, limited resources. Well, the fact of the matter is there is no limited resources that could not be dealt with with a traditional economic system. Um. And, and you'd have to ask the question, why would the Rockefeller crowd and the rest of them be concerned about our use of any resources anywhere? Why would, Why is it their business yes. to, to stand up and say, well, there's not enough resources to go around? Oh, can you demonstrate that somehow? Can you prove that? Is there any empirical data that <laughs> <laughs> supports well, it? We no, can say the same, th- the same thing about Bill Gates. You know, he's yes. been behind this movement as well. Um Yes, the fear, yes. the assumption of overpopulation, but there are so many other things behind it, isn't there? There is, and and Bill Gates, <laughs> by the way, is also a eugenicist, mm-hmm. um, and is uh, you know fully into population reduction policies. This is this whole realm of stuff, not just one report, but the whole realm of study of population reduction is just purely satanic. It really is. There's no reason that that people should be, uh, you know, arbitrarily killed off. Uh, historically, that's happened many times, though. I, mm-hmm. You know, you can look back at, uh, at, at periods where babies were killed. You think about Herod, for instance, killed all the kids under two years old. Um, there's been episodes in history where, where this kind of kill-off has happened, and nobody really, you know, at the time, I'm sure there was great anguish, but, you know, I've other countries looked at it and said, well, that was over there, not here. And he did nothing about it. Um, but now it's global. Well, since the 70s, it seems, when they had, uh, I believe, uh, pictures of uh, global freezing on Time magazine or Newsweek or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, periodicals, and then it went to global warming, and then that didn't work for them either. Then they had to go to climate change. It seems like predictions of global disaster have turned out to be f- as fictional as a summer blockbuster movie, but yet they're still converting people. And I mean, it's a religion, Patrick. They're converting people worldwide, thanks to, uh, what, what's her name, Greta Thunberg, and, yeah. and, and some of them. She's converting young people to this thing that is really, it, it, it's, there's no, quote, science to back it up, is there? There isn't. Um, this is a marker, by the way, of scientism. And um, <clears throat> I have written quite a bit about scientism because I believe that is a religious proposition beneath both transhumanism and technocracy. Um, scientism believes that science is God. Mm-hmm. God is not God. Science is God. And the priesthood of this God of science are the scientists and engineers, like Anthony Fauci, for instance. You can see when he stands up and says, well, you can attack me, but you're not attacking me. You're attacking the science. Unbelievable. I know. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Wow, that was jaw-dropping. That was like, oh, my goodness. Who, and we know the answer to this question, who does he think he is? <laughs> well, he's a high priest of his religion. Yeah, he's God. That's bottom yeah, line. He's his own God. Yeah, that, that, there were some statements. I mean, same thing with Yuval uh, Harari, uh, you know, Anthony Fauci. There are people that, Klaus Schwab, there are people that, that have said certain things in the past several years that I'm, I don't know if they would have gotten away with it 25 or 50 years ago, but you say it today, and, and we're going, did, did, is he openly saying that? <laughs> but, okay, no, Patrick. I know. 
this has been in the planning stage for many decades. I have to say, going, I've done a lot of study around the ni- early 1970s era. This is this is where modern globalization started, mm-hmm. and this is where a lot of the policies we see today that we're shaking our head at started was in the early 1970s. We're not done with it, but these people, I'll tell you, that these people are absolutely unplugged. I'm I'm alarmed every day that I wake up and and pick news stories to uh, put into technocracy news and trends. Um, this is looking into the face of evil. Yes. Most people look at it, even most Christians look at it and say, well, I don't see what's wrong with that. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay, let's explain it to them. You yeah. know, this, that, this yeah. is why it's evil. It's diametrically opposed to the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. They would do away with it altogether. They have no regard for the God of the Bible. And that's why you have, um, you have people out there maybe, you know, that are protesting this stuff. And the technocrats of the world, the Fauci's of the world, Look down their look down their noses at those who you know are saying anything about the Bible and saying you're just a you're just a bunch of um, you know leftover uh, myth dinosaurs from the last century or whatever from the 1800s nonsense it is it's mythology that you're talking about we have science on our side and I'll tell you Christians especially need to see the the rabid anti-Christian anti-Bible uh, narrative that these people are spouting right now. It is flat out dangerous. Yes, it is. To the world. Yes, it is. Um, they, and Yuval Harari ca- blatantly calls it fake news that, that Jesus is the Son of God and the resurrection actually happened biblically and historically. He says that's fake news. So they're mockers, right? That's prophetic. Mockers will, will come in the last days. They will mock. Well, yes. Um, we may get to this, Patrick. World Economic Forum calls for one world currency, a Tower of Babel doomed to collapse. An Israeli economist warns. That's over at Israel365news.com. But I want to continue talking about Rockefeller um, because, again, people don't know history. Um, You wrote a book in 2017, I believe, uh, called Trilaterals Over Washington, two volumes, and uh, with Anthony Sutton, Sutton, and you talked about warning about the story of the organization and members of the Trilateral Commission. This was the year after. We were talking about 1972, which led to 1973. Roe v. Wade was decided, but the David Rockefeller um, uh, involvement here in the creation of a new international economic order. So please, I think your book is, is more relevant today then a lot of people realize. Could you share a little bit about your book, and we'll just let people go check it out? Yes, it's more. It's certainly totally relevant to today because when they said, and this was their writing back then, they said there's a sea change in, in globalization. We we have to stop doing things the way we did it in the last 50 years before that because it didn't work and we didn't get what we wanted. So we need to try something new. <laughs> and they 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 coined this phrase, new international economic order. And Sutton and I didn't fully understand what that meant back then. But later, when I discovered historic technocracy, I immediately connected the two together because technocracy is the only economic system in the world that was developed from scratch that, from, by scientists and engineers. There was no economic system that ever been modeled by somebody in a vacuum other than technocracy. And so when I saw the markers of technocracy show up in the new international economic order, I said, bingo, this is what they were talking about back in 1973. It's exactly what we have today. Um, they, those people, members of the commission back in that day, by the way, they, they eventually decided they would just kind of go underground and they wouldn't speak much in public anymore because we chewed them up. <laughs> um, so they just kind of submerged. But now, thanks to the World Economic Forum, same type of people, same mix of people on a global stage now, uh, are in the, they're on national global TV talking about this stuff now. It's like it's not hidden anymore. It's right in your face. You will be happy and own nothing. Yeah. Um, there will be a merger of technology and your body. That's transhumanism. Um, you know, we will, um, you know, balance the equation between resources and people, which means population reduction. And they, they tell it to us now with a straight face as if they are the paternalistic uh, godfathers or whatever of the, you know, the world and, and why we just want what's best for you, son. Of course. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. 
is absolutely twisted what they're saying today. And But people need to pay attention. Do not by any means ever think that these people do not mean what they say. They do mean what they say. And when you have trillions of dollars behind you, hmm. you have the ability to actually do what you say. So it's a fatal mistake just to say, oh, the cute little old man, you know, is sitting there and talking to Henry Kissinger. He's a cute little old man. You know, he's 96, 7, 8 years old now. <laughs> and wow, isn't he, uh, you know, he's still chugging on. And people think, oh, it's just so quaint. <sighs> no, it's not quaint. It's yeah. purely evil. Yes. And, uh, you know, we, we have an opportunity to reject it still. But maybe it's too late. It could be. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of us who say we will occupy until he comes. You know, I should say, I should throw in here at this point, it was just a minute, it, being that this is um, approaching Easter now, and yesterday was a special Sunday mm-hmm. when, uh, when, when Christ rode into Jerusalem on, a, on an unbroken donkey, fulfilling Scripture, uh, prophecy from the Old Testament. Yes, Zechariah. And Israel did not recognize him. Mm-hmm. They didn't recognize him, and he wept over it because they should have. And, and you remember the numerical prophecy was given, taken out of Daniel. The exact day when he was to write in was known by prophets, and yet they did not recognize the day of his visitation. We have the same problem today. Hmm. That's Yes, I absolutely agree. We don't recognize the signs. And, and, well, yeah. Jesus, I know, Jesus changed the nature of the prophecy. He said, look for the signs now. He said, okay, you had the math before, the first time he came. You had the math from the, the exact day he would return as king and present himself to Israel. A day of visitation was a known quantity in the Old Testament. We don't have the math today. In fact, the Bible tells us we don't. But he said, look for the signs. You, you know, just like the sailor can read the signs of the skies, we should be reading the signs that are happening in the world today. And I'll tell you what, as I look at the signs, I see that the appearance of Christ is very near. Other people and many Christians look at the signs and don't see anything. Mm, and, yes. you know, it takes us back. Why did Israel need the sons of Issachar, for instance, in the Old Testament? to understand the times and tell Israel what to do. Well, that's because 99% of Israel was wandering around in a fog and didn't know what to do. And God rose up a, you know, a group of people, a small tribe, to understand what was going on and tell Israel, okay, now this is what you need to do about this. Well, we're, you know, it's like what goes around coming around. Here we are in, the 20, in, in 2022. Hmm. Amazing. Same problem in God's people. They don't recognize. Yes, the signs of his return, soon the coming return. Yes, part of that. And uh, that's, that's sad. It's unfortunate. It is, Patrick. Part of that is discernment on our part, because we all have the Holy Spirit if you're a true believer, but other, a lot of it falls on the pulpits and, and the failure to teach Bible prophecy and, and nearly yes. one, one-third of the Bible. But when we come back, Pastor John Haller uh, was our guest last week. He wanted me to ask you, don't answer now, is the, econo- is the World Economic Forum an outgrowth of the present version of the old trilateral commission we'll let you answer that when we come back plus we'll talk about what they're uh, talking about over in israel the world economic forum also calls for a one world currency where is that going to (laughs) lead we've got more on standard for the truth with patrick wood of technocracy news Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Another great article over at Technocracy.News that I don't think we'll get to today because we are just running out of time already. Uh, New World Disorder and the Demise of Capitalism. But Patrick Wood, answer John Haller's question. Is the World Economic Forum an outgrowth or the present version of the old Trilateral Commission? Absolutely it is, and without question. I just posted an article, by the way, uh, the role of Henry Kissinger in spawning the World Economic <laughs> Forum. And I would point out that this, this, are, this is just a little historical tidbit. When Klaus Schwab was a young man, uh, guess who put him up to the task of starting a World Economic Forum. Yes, it was none other than Henry Kissinger. Wow. And Henry Kissinger was one of the founding members of the Trilateral Commission in 1973. Somehow, he's still alive today. He's one of the last remaining people. Um, have no idea how he made it so many, so many years 
<laughs> trips around the sun, mm. but uh, he's still out there talking about stuff. And um, so, yes, the, the World Economic Forum today is very much uh, in parallel with the Trilateral Commission back then. It has the same goals, I might add, that the commission had. And this just tells you there's a connection between them. And, uh, you know, I just look at it at, at this point, I just look at it as a natural progression from where they started with just 180 people back in 1973. Now uh, Klaus Schwab has about 1,000 of the top global corporations in tow, Hmm. collectively representing about 80% of the world's gross domestic product. They have trillions of dollars at their disposal, and they want to turn the world green. Um, yeah, I would also point out, have to point out too, you may have had Mark Musser on your program at one time or another, who originally wrote the book Nazi Oaks, but he documented when he was working as a missionary in Europe, he documented the very green, green, green nature of Nazism during World War II. It was really the original expression of ecology and ecological movement. Hitler was totally greenwashed. (laughs) <laughs> um, he he would have been right behind the Green New Deal with AOC and the rest of in America yeah. if he was here today. Um, but we've seen this stuff before. This is my point. Yes. This is not just out of the closet, you know, brand new, fell from the sky. These things have been around for a long time. It's just nobody really paid attention to them. Hmm. Can you tell us, before we go on, talk a little bit about the uh, call for the one world currency, which we've heard for years. Um, you mentioned, or at least in trilaterals over Washington, the European trilateral members were instrumental in using the UN to create a doctrine of what we all have heard the drumbeat of for the last, you know, 10, 15 years or more, sustainable development and green yeah. economy. Explain that a little bit. Well, the year after um, the Trilateral Commission was formed, the United Nations uh, passed a general uh, resolution oddly enough, called the, the, the establishment of the new international economic order. Same language that the Trilateral Commission used. And, of course, um, the United Nations was really kind of a captive audience by, of David Rockefeller because the Rockefeller family had financed uh-huh. the United Nations for years. There we go. I know. <laughs> uh, you know. So they took it forward and put it into a doctrine called sustainable development in the end of it. That happened in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro with the United Nations uh, conference down there. They produced Agenda 21 and the concept of sustainable development. That doctrine, by the way, was created um, in the so-called Brundtland Commission that the, that the United Nations uh, started in 83. And by 87, they had produced a book called Our Common Future, which was written primarily by Gru Harlem Brundtland, a European member of the Trilateral Commission, who was... <laughs> who was writing basically the new international economic order into sustainable development. And that's why we have it today, and that is why the, that's the link to the Trilateral Commission from 1973. This is what they intended all along. They've used different marketing names to promote it, but it's all the same. Mm. Okay, we've got 10 minutes left. Patrick Wood, this article over at by the way, we're going to put the link for to your book, Trilaterals Over Washington, Volumes 1 and 2. That's going to be in today's podcast notes, friends, at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So this guy's father was an advisor to Richard Nixon. Apparently his name is Dr. Philippa or Pippa Malmgren. He spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, with a bombshell prediction, making this prediction that the world is well on its way to implementing an electronic banking system that would open every transaction of every person to government scrutiny. I know you are very up to speed on this, and some of us are just shaking our heads. are going, wow, uh, things are happening fast. Patrick, just uh, share a little bit about this. Well, it, I know this, this, this is, is an amazing story, and it takes a little bit of historical context. We don't have time to go into it all. But I will say, as a financial expert, uh, uh, her nickname is FIPA. I think her real name is Philip, Philippa or something like Philippa, that. Philippa, yes. But um, um, she is a financial expert, uh, an American, but based in London apparently right now, and only consults with wealthy families for wealth management. I can't imagine who her clients would be, but, well, I probably can. I wouldn't want to know. Um, 
but she she said essentially what I've been saying for years is, and that is that when fiat currencies go, they're all going to go together, all at the same time. People have been so obsessed over, well, the dollar's going to crash, the dollar's going to do this, we're going to lose petro dollars, you know, the system and all that kind of stuff, and it's not going to be the reserve currency anymore. People have missed the point that that the digital uh, currency system is intended to replace all fiat hmm. currencies, not just the dollar. They're all going to go at the same time. They have to go at the same time. The United Nations, about eight years, seven or eight years ago, declared that fintech, that's financial technologies that we're dealing with here with the, the digital currencies, they declared that fintech was the only appropriate financial system that would undergird the economic system known as sustainable development. They said that. Hmm. So the handwriting was on the wall, so to speak, a long time ago that, yes, fintech one day is going to have to replace all fiat currencies in the world. This is what David Rockefeller, by the way, saw. I am certain of it back in 1973. He saw the day coming when the fiat currencies of the world would wear out their usefulness and they'd have to discard them altogether. Of course, he didn't know about blockchain back then, but he saw the mathematical certainty that there would be a day when fiat currencies would no longer be useful to them and they would have to be discarded for something else. She also said, I will say this boldly, we are about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. It means digital, she said. But let me ask you about this. Now, for those of, there might be some listeners still in our audience, maybe not as many, because uh, people are pretty much up to speed, I think. But this may sound like a dystopian sci-fi scenario of the distant future. But what happened in Canada when, without a court order, Emperor Prime Minister Justin Trudeau used emergency powers to order banks to freeze the accounts of individuals who donated to the Freedom Convoy. Remember the truckers convoy? Yes. Crowdfunding sites were forced to return millions of dollars that were collected and intended for the truckers. But that's not just in Canada. The Biden administration also accessed bank records uh, to track bank account debit or credit card purchases how made in connection with the Washington, D.C., January 6th, quote, riot or insurrection, right, investigation. So, Patrick, your thoughts on this. This is not as far away, this control over our money, as many people would think, even in North America. Yes, well, it isn't. And the, the people in Canada, at first, when, when Trudeau did that, they, they said, wait, he can do that? <laughs> <laughs> Holy mackerel. And, and you know what happened is that day, that very same day, uh, hundreds of thousands of Canadians ran to the bank to withdraw cash mm. because it, it said, if he can do that, we're, we're, we're getting our cash out right now. We're going to put it, in the, put it under our mattress and nothing else <laughs> where he can't get at it. And uh, that night, um, the same day he declared that, that night, um, there was all kinds of stuff floating around that the banks had all gone offline. Wow. And that they couldn't get cash out. They shut down wow. because there was a run on the bank, and they had to turn that off immediately. You know, they just can't can't deal with that. It would have collapsed the entire banking system. Well, he rescinded his thing and said, oh, "Okay, well, I'm not going to do that. We'll forget that now. But don't worry, everybody, calm down." Right. And uh, so the bank run stopped. The banks are in business, and Canadians probably are still drawing money out of the bank. I would point out a, another cool story, though, in America. Uh, this so-called war on cash that's been going on for a long time is uh, being met by by people's wallets. And in America, for instance, uh, lo and behold, find out that, that currency in circulation has actually doubled in the last 10 years. I did not realize that until I saw this story. There's now $2.2 trillion of cash in Americans' pockets that have been put there over the last 10 years. And obviously people are antsy enough, even if they don't realize it as a society as a whole, they're antsy enough where we say, we better have a little bit more cash in our pocket. Hmm. So that has worked out to be twice as much as they had in 2000, say 2011. That kind of surprised me, but uh, you know, people are intuitively moving, uh, you know, against some of these things. And it's going to be really hard for people like old FIPA to twist all that cash hmm. out of people's pockets. 
And uh, so the battle's not over. On yes. That, by the way, they they say they're going to do it, but a lot of that could be propaganda too. Maybe, maybe it's wishful thinking on their part. So Patrick Wood, uh, we've got three minutes left, and I know we could talk a lot longer on this one question. But from your biblical perspective on economics, is this system that they are talking about is this inevitable? What what do you foresee? Well. I, I can't say anything is inevitable because it's not up to us to de- to decide what is inevitable. Amen. We know that God's word is inevitable. Amen. We know what uh, what ultimately will happen with Bible prophecy and so on along the way. But we can't. It, it would be dangerous to say, "Oh, it's going to you know it absolutely positively has to happen, and this is it." You know, curtains. Um, it may be, but we can't put God in a we can't limit God or put, try to put him in a constraint or in a box to say, well, he can't do this or he can't do that. You know, have him, he must do something. Um, we see the building blocks of the global system being moved around. No doubt about it. We know that in the book of Revelation that there's going to be a system that, that looks very much like a scientific dictatorship where technology and, and uh, you know, some type of a global uh, system, global economic system is going to control and micromanage the behavior of people. We see lots of things that we can make connections uh, with what's going on today. That's not necessarily by itself enough to say, well, you know, it's next Tuesday at 3 o'clock because it's going to happen. That's dangerous thinking. Yeah. At this point, we need to recognize that the appearance of the king for the church may be very, very close. Hmm. But Pray that doesn't mean we board up our windows That's and right. sell all our goods. That's right. People have done that before and gotten in big trouble. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we occupy till he comes, and, and Christians especially need to calm down, in my opinion. They need to calm down mm-hmm. and figure out, are they going to trust their God or not? Yes. And uh, he's given provision. He said, look, uh, you know, lilies of the field and the birds, you know, all that kind of stuff. I take care of all them. I'll take care of you, too. And some, you know, somehow that uh, that thought kind of escapes a lot of Christians today. It's like, uh, you know, the policy becomes uh, scream and shout and run about rather than <laughs> let's wait on the Lord. <laughs> That's I like the way you put that. Oh, Lord, we've learned a lot since COVID. Um, B.C., before COVID, we weren't thinking about as many of these issues, but now we are trying to, you know, increase our faith, trust God, and, uh, you know, he's sovereign over all things, and we have not been given a spirit of fear. The Tower of Babel was the first communist system, a global government under Nimrod, and uh, that didn't last long. Um, So God is still God. He is still sovereign. Uh, Patrick Wood, it, it went by a lot faster than what I thought, but thank you so much for your insight, your research, and uh, what you do to uh, inform people. My pleasure, David. Anytime. All right. Tomorrow, we've got Pastor Elijah Abraham back on the podcast with us, and we're going to talk with him about some of these doctrines about Easter and how people have celebrated the Americanized, commercialized version of Easter. What is What does that mean? It's, it's about the resurrection leading up to his ascension. Of course, what came before that? the crucifixion. So we'll talk about that being Passion Week. Thanks, guys. We've got uh, Sarah Scheiber on Wednesday, author Terry James on Thursday. But God bless you. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing the podcast. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.